0: AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg, Matt Costa, and Evan Russo.
1: And good evening, everybody. Welcome to Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Costa is along. How are you doing tonight, Matt?
2: Uh, Not too bad on this cold, clear, and blustery night.
1: Yes, it is. It's it's very brisk. It's uh, very windy and chilly. Last week we were in the studio wondering if we were going to make it out before the snow started. And uh, we just barely did. And so now we're here with you for another week. Let me give you guys the phone numbers right away so you can call in with all your paranormal questions, theories, experiences, stories. 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape. Feel free to call in any time. We have an action-packed show for you tonight. We're going to touch upon uh, some presidential hauntings a little bit later on, since President's Day is coming up on Monday. We're also going to talk about the Week in Weird, as we do each week. And uh, we have three guests in the studio with us tonight, ready to to take your calls and hear your stories and tell you about their own experiences uh, hunting down the paranormal. And I think what we'll do is, uh, instead of usually I read a bio of each person, I think I'll let you guys introduce yourselves and... and uh, you know, say exactly what your group is now. These are representatives of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society who, anybody that's been listening to this show for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about you guys each week, mentioned you at least once or twice. So uh, why don't we start with Derek Bartlett, who is the founder
3: of CAPERS. Well, you just said that correctly. Is that, um, you said that correctly, and I am. my name's Derek Bartlett. I'm the founder of Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. Um, I started CAPERS in 2000. And I have a background from the Marine Corps uh, that works in-depth as an investigator. Um, and it's great to be on the show. Thank you.
1: Oh, great to have you. And uh, who have you brought along with you? Some, some fellow investigators.
3: Yeah, I brought uh, Deborah Hearn, a lead investigator, and Joanne McCann, a lead investigator.
1: And uh, how are you ladies this evening?
4: Doing great, thanks.
1: All right. And now, uh, we have... As we said, we've been mentioning what it is that you do. You've been involved in a lot of the investigations in this area. I mean, what, talk about like, the decision to get into this, how it came about to hunt down the paranormal. It's not, it's not something, especially being a, a Marine, you consider them to be very straight-laced and you know buy the book and to do something that's out of the ordinary like this.
3: Well, when I, bring, uh, when I come, became an investigator, I, I brought the thought of being, I'm a skeptic. Mm-hmm. I'm a skeptical believer. That's the way skepticism comes to mind first. But as a child, instead of being uh, told uh, knights in armor and and everything like that, I was actually told ghost stories when going to bed. And my mom had told me ghost stories and what had happened to her. So growing up, I, I was very intrigued with the paranormal and, and things like that. And so when, as uh, I get older in age, uh, when I get older, I uh, kind of took it to... The next level. I started searching out haunted locations, especially in the Marine Corps. I was down in South Carolina, visited some old forts that they used during during the times um, in the early 40s and 50s, and they had ghost stories around them. But what had happened was in 2000, I had taken a photograph I couldn't explain. So um, I did what anybody did is, you know, I was interested, I knew there was some paranormal. Could be possibly. Well,
1: what, what exactly did the what was the photograph of?
3: Um, actually, I was in Hardwick, Vermont, and I uh, taken the photograph of a masseuse, um, and uh, when I had it, when I brought it home and got it developed, it was blurry. Mm-hmm. It, it looked like an image on the behind her, like a person. And it had white streaks through it, like lightning bolts, but it didn't go through the ends of the photographs. It went through. You know, it just was in the middle of it, and I remember the whole layout. There was. No light sources around it or anything. So, what I did was I sent it to some local groups here in Massachusetts. The next day, they deemed it as their own, their own photograph. Now, that team is debunked. <laughs> they have given up I ghost hope hunting. So. I would hope so now, Yes. Man. Well, I have to thank them as well because it got me a little bit angry. And I started looking to find out what it took to become a ghost hunter. And basically, to become a ghost hunter, you didn't need a parapsychology degree, but you need to have an open mind. Mm-hmm and some understanding of the paranormal. So that's what I did. I took a year time and read up on all the paranormal things I could do, and that's including investigating the paranormal.
1: All right. Well, actually, the phones are already lighting up here. And remember, if you want to join in with us, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape. And it looks like the Wareham line is flashing right now. So let's go right to the call. Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. Uh, can we have your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Bill, I'm calling from Fairhaven, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, the
5: reason I'm calling you is that that gentleman brought up something about a photograph. Mm-hmm. A similar thing happened to me. I was down in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at a campsite near uh, this amusement park, and this uh, Amish guy comes in, and he's selling bread. He's riding, He's pulling a horse, and he's selling fresh-baked bread. And we were at the campsite, and we decided to take his picture as he's coming in. And when we developed that picture, the horse was there, everyone was there, but the, the Amish guy's face was totally blurred out. And that was strange. <laughs> totally blur, blurred right out.
1: Well, isn't that because the Amish don't like photography? They're just against that kind of stuff? I mean,
5: yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, and, and did you have this photograph uh, checked out by anybody? Or? We still
5: have the photograph. We still got it. And, you know, I show it to people, and, they, it, it, you know, it's... Because we didn't know that was going to happen until we got home. We developed the pictures and everything. And everything else came clear. His face was blurred out.
1: And, uh, you know, we, we have these people in the studio from Capers. They are well-versed in this kind of thing. If you'd like to get it to them, they could uh, yeah. take a look at it and let you know a little bit more.
5: Yeah. So another, I can give you a couple other stories. One was about Wolf Wolf's Island. I all you guys spoke about that last week. Yes, Wolf, we had a couple of about it, yes. Yeah, I also had a few experiences there. But this is, I'm gonna tell you one that I had. I grew up down in New Bedford near Cogsall Street.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: And we used to play in the river when we were kids. And we were coming home this was back in the I'm to say early early seventies. And we were coming off the, we had a little rowboat down there. We were coming off and it was in February. And we looked at the sky, and we saw these lights just stop there. And the strange thing about it, I didn't know this. I didn't, you know. I, we thought it was a UFO, but we were kids. We were like 15, 16 years old. And I was reading last, uh, last week or two weeks ago about a UFO sighting in Pennsylvania in that same time period that we, we spotted it on Cogzell Street. So mm. that was pretty strange, too. So <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd share that, guy, that with you guys.
1: Well, we, we thank you for that, and uh, if you want to get us that photograph, I don't know if you have uh, email capabilities, sir? Yeah, I do. All right, if, if, do you have a digital copy of the photo you could email us? Uh, I could scan it in. Okay, just send it to uh, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, okay. and uh, I'll make sure that Derek gets it and they can take a look at it, and we'll put you guys in touch, and you can find out a little bit more, hopefully. Good, great, thank you. All right, thank you for calling in. Again, if you, uh, if you want to join us here tonight and talk about the paranormal, 508 500 508 500 and you can always email us uh, any of your experiences, questions, or anything to uh, go to SpookySouthCoast.com, and our, our email addresses are right there. Now, getting back to uh, Capers and, and what you guys are all about, so you said that you started this group in 2000. How many investigations have you done in that time period?
3: Uh, believe it or not, it's, it's kind of different when I say this, because we're not the typical ghost hunters. Mm-hmm. We don't do 50, 60, 70 a year. What the, the name and I started with was Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, which is not just getting out, you know, taking photographs, investigating the haunted sites, and that's it. This is actually doing in depth research of paranormal events. That's between the people, the location, seeing if there's any um, commonality or uh, same, um, same things, you know, there that bind all of them together, see if there's a, almost statistically. So we do one. We do about twelve a year, say one one a month, and that's how much in-depth research we do. is It takes about a, a month for each location after being initially contacted to the interviews uh, in person, then from the investigation, then researching the back and watching the in the f- footage and everything until we present our findings.
1: And, and during that interview process, is there like a, a psychological evaluation that you put the person through to make sure that it isn't something? Other than the paranormal?
3: Right, exactly. Um, That's why we do the telephone interview first. We um, interview the people and uh, find out the story and what they've done and exactly what we are. We're paranormal investigators. So the word investigator is like police investigator, you know, no leading the witness, no doing anything that. So we take the form of the investigator and interview the people. And then in the back, in the second part of the interview, we we interview them about their, their selves alcohol, you know, medication that goes right down to the side effects of medication, to sleep habits, to a lot of things like that, see if there's um, anything that might be triggering it. Triggering it. But the first, the first and foremost thing we f- usually find out, if it's one person, yeah, we, we kind of look in depth a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But if there's three people involved with the incident, it, t- it, it tends to not, we don't go into that bigger evaluation of the person. Exactly, you No, know, yep. because there's, there's three variables inside the, the haunting.
1: And uh, through the course of your investigation, like you said, you don't really do that many, but one of the ones that you did do was locally here in New Bedford. Uh,
3: oh, oh, yeah. I mean, we've, we've done up to now it's five years, so you're talking about sixty, in, 60, 60 at least 60 in investigations. And that's not just residential homes, which are our main thing that we've done. Mm-hmm. Commercial buildings, we've done a few of them. Um, but, yeah, I've done he- one lo- locally here in New Bedford.
1: And, and what exactly uh, did you find out at, at that location? Which is it's pretty close to here uh, without giving away anybody's you know, haunted address. It, it was um, uh, near the historic area of New Bedford. And uh, what, what exactly did you encounter?
3: Well, we were, we were called in because uh, this woman and her husband and she had a small daughter were, were experiencing... Um, Paranormal events, uh, from knocking, walking up the flights of stairs to uh, things in the attic, and so we went up in the attic, and she had brought her child's clothes that she was too big for, mm-hmm. the, and the things were that one shoe was missing from each set. Wow. We couldn't find them, and she didn't know where they were. She remembers laying them out, and we got down to investigating. The building itself; it was newly renovated. Actually, it was for sale because uh, the case is still undecided. Uh, we we rarely ever close cases out because if we can't find anything, you know, for us to be in there, we believe the people, you know. So if we don't find anything, it doesn't mean that case is closed. It Just means while you were there, nothing, nothing happened, right? And um, we we try to stay in contact with the people as much as possible. Um, but on that case, they were selling the home, so they actually had moved after we've done and we concluded that we didn't get any paranormal activity we didn't document any and one thing Cape Islands Paranormal Research Society is here for uh, for the people that are going through events like that because they can't turn to psychologists they can't turn to um, building developers they can't turn to lawyers, doctors you know because people don't have a they're very afraid to tell other people about their paranormal events Mm -hmm. so Cape Islands Paranormal Research Society or CAPERS as we call it for short um, is here to help the people going through these events cause it's so they can turn to somebody, so they can talk about their, their hauntings and their and their um, experiences without feeling, I can say, ashamed or, or embarrassed because most of the first questions out of their mouth are, you're going to think I'm crazy. And I usually say, no, I'm not. And no, no, I don't believe you. And I don't think you're crazy because I'm a ghost hunter. I'm going to believe exactly you yeah. until, I can, I, until I can't.
1: I mean, that's the biggest problem is that a, a lot of people... Uh, uh, they think that you know the only solution here is some sort of exorcism of the mm-hmm. house or to remove these spirits. When in reality, sometimes people just want somebody else to acknowledge that yes, you are experiencing this. Correct. And it does happen all the time. It's it's not you. It's not something about you. You're not going crazy. It's just another part of the world that we don't understand.
3: Yeah, yeah. That and that's the, been the biggest thing is education, education about ghosts and the paranormal um, to the people that are experiencing this it has been one of our Uh, forefront our best one of our things that we walk away from investigation and yes the evidence is nice to have Mm -hmm. but i feel more accomplished when the person's able to sleep in their bed without being afraid um is able to bring other people in uh to their house and you know not brush anything off and be comfortable in their own skin and home
1: it's it's almost like you can relate it to you know other uh, you know accredited scientists. it's almost like there are some researchers who are the psychiatrist where they need to medicate the problem and solve the problem and find a solution whereas you're more like a psychologist you're just there to help walk the person through it and make these discoveries on their own of, of how to handle the situation
3: well sometimes sometimes people want to just remove themselves so have the um entity removed or have the activity stopped now we've done cases all throughout the U.S. And um, when I say U.S., I mean I've been to New Orleans for cases. Um, Which is a very rich area. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, um, we're dealing with a case out in California because one of our investigators is out in California. But uh, we are, uh, when it... People are always looking for answers, like you were mentioning, exorcism or uh, get rid of the ghost. Now mm. we don't do that. We're not Ghostbusters, of course. You know, everybody.
1: copyright, go, you know, Universal you, Pictures, nineteen eighty four.
3: Exactly, you know, and Massachusetts doesn't allow us to have nuclear powered proton packs on our back. You know, it's, for licensing for that, it's just yeah, horrible. It's, it's
1: hard to get these days.
3: Yeah, but um, no, when it, when it comes to that, uh, we have a network of people, and and it's and it's quite a if you if you think about it, okay. You have the people experiencing the, say, the entity or the activity. And they're Catholic, okay, and they th- they want to bring a priest in. Mm-hmm. Okay, the entity, it's human form, you know, and they know it's whatever, but it could be of Jewish, could be a Native American. Will that exactly. yeah, will under, uh, actually understand the Catholic religion for an exorcism? Or is it the energy? I think. You know for me I'm not to that in that area myself mm-hmm. I, I have people on my team and actually consultants that we work with um, on in these fields but when they bring um, when they want something to get um, to get rid of something out of their house, we have them contact these people. We don't do that um, but we find most of the time ninety percent of the time when after we educate them that they're uh, that they're pretty comfortable in their own skin in their own home.
1: All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick one-minute break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we, we welcome your calls, 508-996-0500, 508 291 for Wareham and the Cape. We'll talk some more about the investigations that capers have done. We'll talk with Deborah about the shadow people and a, a lecture they have coming up next week. And uh, we'll have all kinds more here on Spooky South Coast.
4: Ow! that I see
0: walking in these woods. Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down little the red shades. Red. Spooky South Coast is back.
1: And we're back. As he said, we're here on Spooky South Coast. We want to hear from you. 508-996-0500. 508 for Wareham and the Cape. And uh, we are talking with members of Capers, the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. Uh, coming up in the second hour, we'll have another guest that's going to join us. And uh, also we'll talk about presidential hauntings for President's Day, and we'll bring you the week in weird. As I mentioned before the break, uh, Capers has a series of... Uh, we don't want to call them necessarily lectures, but more you know discussions, open meetings where they invite the public to come in free of charge and to discuss some of these paranormal issues. And uh, coming up this Friday at Cape Cod Community College, you guys can help me out with the time. I'm not exactly sure the time. Seven to nine. All right, seven to, seven to nine at Cape Cod Community College. Which, of course, you can get all this information on their website. Which is Derek. You can give it out. Well,
3: the website is www. The website's www. Capers.com, that's C-A-I-P-R-S.com.
1: Okay, and you can get all the information there. And now uh, Deborah Hearn is going to be leading this discussion this week about shadow people. Why don't you fill in the listeners who might be unfamiliar with what exactly these shadow people are. People have heard the term, but they might not know exactly what it means.
4: Okay, well, um, from what I've researched, um, there is no scientific evidence to prove or disprove their existence basically, so everything that we pretty much come up with is theory, but talk to somebody that's had an experience with them, and they'll tell you that they're real.
1: And it's it's different, it's not exactly a ghost.
4: No, it's not a ghost. Um, they really, they don't have, they have the form of a person, mm-hmm. but they don't look like a person, as you generally no facial features or anything like that. Yes, it's basically just a big shadow
1: and, it, and it, but it has an intelligence of its own and it seems to to interact almost with with people
4: um yeah they mess with you yeah they do
1: <laughs> like in, what are some examples of what people have gone through
4: um oh boy personal experiences that i've had um, such as okay um
1: <laughs> we, we, we welcome personal ex- we welcome personal experiences
4: Okay, actually, should I tell the story about... Yeah, go okay, go ahead. I was about a week and a half into investigating information for my presentation. And now, I don't know if this happened because I was tired, because maybe looking into all of this stuff, I aggravated them, mm-hmm. and they came to me and see what was going on, try to make me stop. I don't know. But this actually happened on January 16th. Um... I had fallen asleep on the couch. I knew I fell asleep on the couch. Just, you know, one of those kind of long nights. And I woke up, and I was in my bed. I looked at the clock. It was about 7.30.
1: So somehow you'd made it from the couch to your bed.
4: Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. what it seemed like, yeah. And I happened to, you know, look at the clock. It's like, okay, it's 7.30. I should get up soon. And I happened to, you know, like went to turn onto my left side, and I saw a dark figure just laying in the bed next to me. Wow. No facial features. Um, I could see, like, head, like, on the pillow, as if it was laying on its back, Um, neck, arms, chest, and actually the blanket was up over its chest. And I was just, you know... I just had this unbelievable feeling that I was going to be assaulted. I mean, it was horrible.
1: It it had a a feeling of malevolence toward it? Oh, yeah. uh, About it?
4: Definitely. Actually, Every time I tell the story or talk about it, I kind of feel some of that, mm-hmm. which is bad because they feed off of fear. So I'm trying to so, control that so it'll stay away. But.
1: And this is something that had never happened to you previously to researching the subject? or
4: No. No, not like this, no.
1: Well, what about anybody else? Has anybody else had experiences like
3: this? Or? Well, on, on Deb's case, it was kind of funny when she brought that to me. I said, you know, it's kind of like watching a horror movie. You start getting scared after watching a horror movie because mm-hmm. you, you weren't in that mind frame. Now I had spoken to her about um, working on the project. Did she actually start thinking about it a lot more, inside and outside of bed? Now, myself with shadow people, I was. We did a case in Everett, Massachusetts, where the hauntings were on four floors, uh, starting from the basement all the way to the attic. And uh, I was outside, and uh, I was out. And it was um, wintertime because it had snowed. Uh, this is two years ago, I think it was in December, and we're in. We're in the. In the home, and I had gone outside, and we we're talking. I was talking to Tom Durant, who's one of my investigators, who was out in California, and he he had told me about shadow people. Started talking about shadow people because I had seen a couple of shadows, and especially of uh, one that was a little boy, kind of run behind um, behind uh, the house when I was outside. And Tom had investigated shadow people a lot, and because uh, he had found a lot of commonality with it. Uh, with certain things when shadow people show up they're like he told me now this is his theory now I'm, I'm not too sure on shadow people because that's not my field mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, studying the paranormal um, that they, shadow people are interdimensional I know you had a speaker on here a few weeks ago that was yeah pa- about it. we had
1: Paulino on he believes that all spirit activity is a, a view into another universe
3: well, well Tom had said that it's from the spirit world to our world these guys are kind of investigators. They look and see. And Tom had had a, had thought of um, or he communicated or something like that. He's a sensitive like that. Um, and he said, well, the, the you will start noticing random acts continuously for one week after you've seen one of them. And so he was thinking of something or he was told that his photograph, he'd be photographed at random, like he'll walk by somebody and they'll photograph him. Mm-hmm. Um, be in the shot, but not actually taking the picture of. So he he went to Rhode Island School of Design, which is right around the corner here. And um, sure enough, after he saw a Shadow Shadow Person that photograph, he caught himself five six times a day being being in a random shot. Then wow. it, sto- it stopped. So now we're taking a, we're thinking of a theory of that. Is there a commonality with that to do, do, do certain random acts like that happen when you when you're actually. Um, doing the uh, when you see a shadow person so myself yeah I, I moved into a house here in Plymouth Massachusetts and I was laying in bed and I'm a ghost hunter you know and I'm a skeptical believer and uh, but laying in bed and seeing a looks like a cut out of a boy no facial features like Deb had mentioned um, kind of looking up here around the corner into the bedroom um, and fear fear is a natural human instinct. So if you if you're not afraid something something's really wrong with you because I got afraid. I I was afraid. I was laying in my own home comfortable bed with no previous haunting experience or anything like this and all of a sudden this thing had appeared to me. Oh, absolutely. So it I shut imagine. the door. I shut the door. <laughs> so you wouldn't see it. And it, it's fear is natural, so anybody that any ghost hunter says they're not afraid, you know, they're just putting you know, putting themselves off.
1: And they're doing themselves a disservice too. I mean, Correct. it's It's it's, uh, almost belittling what it is that they're doing. Now, maybe uh, some listeners out there have had some experience with these shadow people. We'd like to hear about it. 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. You can talk about shadow people and any other experiences you've had in the paranormal realm. Ghosts, uh, UFO sightings. We had uh, someone on last week that called in and said that there was a UFO over Dartmouth in January, anything along those lines. Just give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508 Now, getting back to what Capers does, you came up with this... Uh, the series of open meetings as a way to inform the general public about the paranormal. Do you find that you have some people that are, you know, I don't want to say the fringe believers, but people that don't necessarily focus on the paranormal that just come down out of a general interest to find out what's going on?
3: Yeah, we had a, uh, last week, we had a, last month, excuse me, we had a, a couple came down from Fairhaven. They had run it in one of the newspapers that we, uh, we uh, put, put the notice in, and they weren't, she, she was interested in it. He was a skeptic. And it informed them a little bit, get, mm-hmm. get them a little bit of knowledge. So we find uh, different, different avenues um, of people coming in, you know, from, from the true believers that everything has a ghost in it, you know, to the skeptics, the diehard skeptics. And uh, one thing about skeptics, I love them. I love skeptics because it, it keeps us grounded, you know, without their hard work and, and their insight in, you know, trying to disprove prove mm-hmm. paranormal events makes me look into their work and say okay well they're right you know and and keeps us grounded instead of running around and everybody saying this goes because you can see them but no one's disproving you know what the what the common common formula so we get we get all all uh, walks of life into the into the meetings when we have them,
1: and at the same time, you have people that are coming and looking to become members of the society yes. to, to join up and actually hunt ghosts.
3: Yes, actually, and, and that is one thing. Um, Cape Islands Paranormal Research Society is looking for. Uh, we're looking for f- five uh, five fields, as you can say it. We're looking for field investigators. Mm-hmm. That means actually physically going out in the field, looking for skeptics, resident skeptics, which work with the team, you know, on investigations but with the skeptical points of view. Um, as well as liaisons, basically telling us your local areas. And you can help us on investigations where if we're brought out to, you, you might have found a uh, case or something like that for us. To um, researchers, that's researching the history of the homes and almost like anthropological studies. To consultants, consultants meaning um, psychologists, uh, contractors, anybody, plumbers, you know, any, anybody that could help us in the real world. And when, I, when I say real world, I mean their, their studies. Help us understand, you know, uh, fo- you know, foundations to structure, to heating systems. Because you
1: know? the, the more of these factors that you can take into account and examine, the better you can get an idea. I mean, one example is. Uh the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth here, anybody that's ever gone to that school, there's a a story that goes around that the building was designed by some sort of satanic worshiper, and that's why everything's concrete and there's no clocks and there's 13 stairs and every staircase and all this
3: kind of stuff. And the walkways form 666 And, and from the aerial view.
1: Yeah, from the aerial view, and it's supposed to be a big beacon for satanic messages. And the story that everybody tells over there is that the guy who designed it sacrificed himself when he was done by... Jumping off that campanile, that big needle in the middle. So I just by looking on the internet and doing a little bit of research, I found out no, the gentleman no. died two or three years ago from cancer.
3: Right, and he had built other buildings like this, and
1: exactly in the same style with no stories like that around them. I mean, it doesn't mean that it isn't true, right? But just that little bit of research and that little bit of doubt you can bring in, you know, you can just say, hold on, wait a minute. Right. Now, when you bring in new members, is there some sort of uh, like a boot camp, some initiation process, something that they have to go through for training?
3: Yes, there is. Um, we have uh, what we call um, basically what you can say is uh, investigational procedures or standard operating procedures, where we bring the invest we bring people onto our team. They have a ninety day trial period. They don't pay any membership or dues or right at the time, and um, which is twenty dollars a month. You know that form that helps us do the printing and everything like that. But they get trained on all the equipment. Um, they get trained on video from the video cameras we use to uh, studying and looking at f- photographs, to looking at videos, to doing um, field studies and how to how to operate inside homes, residential homes, to just have adic- the complete etiquette um, when it comes to ghost hunting. So it, 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 it's, it's a thorough tra- training. I mean, these people are volunteers. We don't pay for our, pay our investigators. Mm-hmm. We're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3 corporation, Noti- Notice by the federal government.
1: I mean, and that has to be the case, because if you start taking payment from people for this, you start really putting yourselves on as charlatans. It makes it yes. so easy. You know, next thing you know, somebody call. I mean, I always think of uh, the movie with Michael J. Fox, The Frighteners. Frighteners, right. Well, I mean, he actually had real ghosts working on his side, but, I mean, that's the image that a lot of people have when they think that you're going to charge them to come in and do these investigations.
3: Right. What we do is we don't charge anybody looking for an investigation, first mm-hmm. of all. So, uh, And then on top of it... I worked with the federal government two and a half years ago because they had no true paranormal research societies that they could mimic or mock my paperwork to. Mm-hmm. So you can actually say we're the first ones to actually go in nonprofit. We're into religion, science, folklore, and history in the nonprofit area. Um, we're actually a 501c3a corporation. Um, we're incorporated four years ago in Massachusetts, and I had found when. When I went on other ghost hunter sites, that there were nonprofits, but they weren't. They just said nonprofit because they don't
1: take pay, but they didn't have the actual paperwork. Right,
3: right. And I had helped a couple of teams already get nonprofit status by the federal government. Now that gives you a little bit more credibility. Mm -hmm. That's that's where I want to take this, is to be more credible, not you know flight of fancy, you know, not amateurish, you know. So that's why I did the the whole nonprofit. And yeah, my my investigators or what I call training investigations. Investigators in training, they uh, go through a rigorous training process, and, and believe it or not, uh, in the past we've had the the uh, people come in and uh, become investigators and quit after I trained them after doing all this stuff. So we do have paperwork, non-compete forms, and we, we're oh, wow, we're yeah. actually we're actually a business. We're a corporation. We are votings. We we have monthly mini, mini- meetings. You know, we hold it as just like a regular nonprofit, like you'd see IFAR or any other nonprofits.
1: So people that are are into this uh, to join your group, I mean, they really have to make it a focus. It's not just, you know, hey, it's a Saturday night. It's right. It's kind of stormy. Oh, let's go do an investigation well, for fun.
3: Yeah. What we do is we um, actually, um, how can you say it? It's on volunteer basis. So mm-hmm. who can make it, who can? Who's yeah. been more dedicated? You know, who hasn't? So we we pick and choose. Um, we do um when it when it comes to doing the about investigators and they want to join our team they have to send in resumes and why they want to become ghost hunters we're not looking for thrill seekers we're not looking for people that want to be scared we want people to have fun because if ghost hunting wasn't fun i wouldn't be doing it because my I, i value my time um but we make it fun as well you know with the team members that we do have like deb and joanne and keith and everybody but um yeah, we ask for res- resumes. We ask for you know why they want to become ghost hunters, <laughs> and everything like that. So uh, it it does it does help, you know, minimizing the field of people who's actually really inv- wants to get involved.
1: And and probably the biggest uh, issue we've come across since doing the show for the past three or four weeks is that there's so many of these groups that are starting up that don't know what they're doing and are just. You know, copying what they might see ghost hunters do on the Sci Fi Channel or or these other shows on the Discovery Channel, and they say, gee, I, all I need to do is order, order a, a Goss meter and some, you know, photographic equipment online, and I'm a ghost hunter.
3: Well, believe it or not, that's what I did way back six years ago. <laughs> but I didn't bring it to the general public, I did it on my own and tried out all these theories. Um, for those people who are listening who want, to be, who want to become ghost hunters and want to bring it to a professional field like Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society has, have them contact me. I, I'd love to hear them. i help them out. If I have old equipment, i donate it to societies um, that can't afford it because, believe it or not, I mean, being a nonprofit, we get grants. But the, the other people that are doing it out of their own pocket and would like some equipment that maybe we've used and got beat up a little bit, has dinks and dents and don't whistle anymore, but uh, it still work in the field, you know, we like to help them people out as, as well as educating them as well.
1: And speaking of beat up uh... You guys have encountered some spirits before that, uh, you know, and Derek being a Marine, this might be a little embarrassing for him, he actually uh, has been assaulted by spirits in the past. All three of you have had that type of experience, or...? Uh, Deb? No. No? No, no. no. well, you were saying well, you were saying before the show okay. that she actually felt that there was something
3: okay. choking her. Oh, oh on her. Oh, on me. No, oh. it choked me. Oh, really? Yeah, I was uh, actually... Um, this is in Granville, Massachusetts. Now, if anybody doesn't know where Granville is, it's Exit 3 off the Mass Pike. And this is, we travel way out there as well. And this is home built in the 1800s for a revolu- uh, from Civil War dignitaries. And the women had grown up in the house, basically, and had uh, experiences there. Well, if anybody do- doesn't know what EVPs are, the electronic voice phenomena, and you guys probably have talked about this,
5: mm-hmm.
3: but uh, we were doing recordings, and one of the locations was a, a master bedroom. And Deb, who's here, um, was with me working on him. What we do is ask questions, but she writes down the notes on what questions I have asked at the time. And we had, a, at the time, skept, uh, skeptic on a team who what we call is base. They look at the, they monitor all the readings throughout the house because we have remote, remote sensors and um, things like that. And we're in the bedroom, and I had asked at that time. I said, I'm. 33, right? 33, okay. Uh, um, it's been, you know, you just start doing this and you forget the years you do it. Uh, I'm 33 years old. How old are you? And at that time, instantly, I had feeling of someone grabbing the back of my neck, like someone choking me just in reverse from the back of my neck. But at, before that, punching me into my shoulder blades with two knuckles, like a mm-hmm. poke, and then a choke. And we have this on videotape. Nothing showed up on videotape. Um,
1: I mean, was your physical reaction yeah, to yeah. it on videotape? Yeah,
3: yeah, and I dropped, the, I dropped the recorder, and, you know, at the time I said I expletive quit. Because I, I, first time I have ever encountered actually physically being assaulted by an entity. I mean, I might have seen something out of the corner of my eye, never squared straight on ever as a ghost hunter. I've never had these experiences that people have experienced, what mm-hmm. gets them into ghost hunting. It was just always the, the fascination with it. But after regaining my. I can say dignity and get, get my gumption back. I had talked to the skeptic monitoring the equipment. Now, a personal experience is good, you know, but for us, we need three accesses. We need, you know, two mechanical, one visual, anything like that to actually make a note that it was a paranormal event. Well, me being choked, Deb being the witness to me, that happening. But the skeptic came up to me and said, oh, how cold did he in the room? Now, at the time, I had play playback, and I said, no, it actually got warmer. And she goes, yeah, it got seven degrees warmer in that one second that incident happened. Wow. At that time, the room increased seven degrees in temperature.
1: And normally what the theory is is that when there's something present, it decreases the temperature to draw that kind of energy. So maybe this entity that attacked Expulsion. you brought plenty of its own energy with it, yeah.
3: Possibly. Possibly. Um, we did have other encounters in that house in the basement, and it's that's that, that case was pretty active. It was
1: did, did you get a sense that it was you know, attempting to harm you? Or was it more just a, hey, I'm here and, you know, I'm not messing
3: around? Um, I think when it comes to, when it came to that one, it was more, look at I'm here. Mm -hmm. Look at you're asking where I am, you're asking what I'm doing, you know i'm here i'm like you know and we came to find out that uh through the history and uh the woman wanted the cleansing of the house or a psychic coming in which we sat on and investigated psychics because you know being paranormal investigators we do all the things you know we investigate psychics so we were watching this and uh she said it was a a priest or a um not a priest but a uh, minister mm-hmm. who was pretty heavy-handed and awful in the past that you know it was my height and that kind of she said that and i was like yeah because there was no up grabbing no pushing down it a, like it, it was my equal, hike, level. equal level with me so that came some you know gave it some validity with that so yeah i mean doing these things i've heard bumps bangs footsteps walking up and down stairs but that's my first actual physical encounter doing this
1: all right well maybe uh, some listeners out there have had similar experiences we want to hear about it 508-996-0500 508-291-0500 we're going to take a quick One-minute break. Well, we'll take about a minute and a half break, says says Matt, who is uh, handling all the controls as usual. We'll be right back on the other side. We'll talk about some uh, presidential hauntings, and we'll hear from you as well right here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Don't look now. Turn on on all your lights. Lock the doors and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back.
1: And uh, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Koss is with us. And we're here with Derek, Joanne, and Deborah from the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. We are waiting to hear from you, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Maybe you've had some paranormal experiences. Maybe you've had some strange things, ha- strange things happen. Maybe you just have some questions for them. Now, coming up on Monday, we will observe the holiday of President's Day, one day set aside to remember all the past presidents, but sometimes the past presidents, they want to make their presence known a little bit more often. And so uh, we've we've, uh, put together some presidential haunting history for you. Now, anybody that's ever heard about ghosts in the White House, obviously the most famous ghost is always that of Abraham Lincoln, who, when he was president, actually predicted his own death through a dream. So uh, assassinated in 1865, he still lives in the White House, according to some witnesses. Uh, the first person to really see him uh, on a frequent basis was Franklin Roosevelt, maybe because they both were presidents at times of great war for the country. But uh, Eleanor Roosevelt used the Lincoln bedroom as her own personal office, and while she never saw Lincoln, she did feel that his presence was in there. Also, a young clerk in the Roosevelt White House claimed to have actually seen the ghost of Lincoln sitting on a bed and pulling off his boots. During the Roosevelt presidency, Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands was awakened by a knock on the bedroom door. When she got up and answered it, there was Abe Lincoln standing at her in the hallway. And, of course, uh, Abe Lincoln was known for being a gentleman, so he often knocks when there are other presidents around, such as uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Herbert Hoover, and Harry Truman. And uh, for some reason, they just got the feeling it was Lincoln without actually seeing him. But maybe part of this comes about because when Lincoln was in office, he had a son named Willie, and that son passed away. And so Mary Lincoln, who, as history has shown us uh, in the in the years since, was a little bit of uh, let's say nutjob <laughs> to put it to put it nicely. And so she would hold seances in the White House to try to contact the spirit of of Willie. And there is proof that Abraham Lincoln was part of these, whether or not he believed in the paranormal. A lot of people do think that he did. Uh, I know that when Winston Churchill was uh, visiting the White House during World War II, uh, he went out for a cigar on the, on the uh, balcony and he saw Lincoln standing in the fireplace watching him. And so uh, Churchill was always quick on the uptake. He blinked and said, Good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. Lincoln smiled softly and disappeared. Now, ever since Truman was in office, there really haven't been a whole lot of Lincoln sightings in the White House. Part of the problem is because they've done so many uh, renovations over the years, it's not quite the same building it was when Honest Abe was there. However, if you go to his grave site in Springfield, Illinois, there are a lot of people that claim that you can see him walking around there. There are some people that say that uh, his funeral train still rolls through Springfield sometimes at night. And uh, also, there are reports of seeing him at uh, the the field at Gettysburg, amongst the you know thousands of other ghosts that people have seen there, and just some other presidential haunting history trivia: uh, President Harrison, who was president for just one month before dying of a cold in 1841, is said to be heard in the attic of the White House. President Andrew Jackson is thought to still be in the bedroom he used of the White House and the first the ghost of first lady Abigail Adams has been seen floating through the White House hallways as if carrying something. Some have reported to see her hanging her laundry up in a room to dry. So I don't know what uh what kind of uh, laundry she'd be doing in the hereafter, but it's nice that she's keeping up with it. Now they have people at the White House that just do it for you, so. Also, there's a phantom black cat that is said to have been seen in the basement of the White House on the advent of some great national tragedy. A guard claimed to have seen it a week before the great stock market crash of the 1920s, and another claimed to have seen it right before JFK died. There's also some rumors on the Internet that somebody reported it in a, a week or two before 9-11. No uh, confirmation from the Bush White House on that. Uh, and also, Dolly Madison has uh, been spotted out in the Rose Garden, because, as you know, she was one of the first uh, to, to have a bad experience in the White House. When uh, James Madison was president, the British actually burned it down. And she was key in the rebuilding of it. And one of her passions was the Rose Garden. And so uh, whenever anybody goes to try to dig anything up, she tries to stop them. And also a British soldier who died while they were trying to burn the White House is also still present on the grounds. And every once in a while, they'll see him wandering around with a torch in his hands. So that is a little bit of presidential haunting history. Now we'd like to talk to you about your own haunted history at 508 500 500 for Wareham and the Cape. And we are here with the members of Capers, who, and I don't think you've probably encountered too many famous spirits around here, but, you know, there, there are some, uh, one thing that I've heard quite often, and I don't know how familiar you are with this, but I've heard that John Belushi still roams on Martha's Vineyard. I don't know if that's something that you've heard as well.
3: Yeah, actually, that's the place where he's buried, Yes. Um, a lot of people have said that. And, yeah, they they say the famous famous people go out onto the islands and still haunt there. Um, I've never heard of a story of, of uh, Mr. Belushi going out there and haunting anybody. You know, there are, there are houses and buildings and, you know, the regular stories out there. But nobody famous, I'm sorry to say.
1: Well, in, in past years, uh, I'd been out to the island, and th- uh, through a, an associate, I knew the caretaker of the cemetery there, or, or I... Mm -hmm. had reports from the caretaker there, who said that uh, he had been seen around. And my dad actually took me there maybe a year or so after I'd heard that, Mm -hmm. and I didn't even think about it. And he mentioned to me that Belushi is no longer buried where he was originally buried, that somebody tried to dig him up, and so that they had to move the body, and now he's in an unmarked grave. And I've also heard stories, too, that he haunts the bungalow out in uh, California where he passed away as well. So Judy Belushi, his, uh, his former wife, is you know, adamant in her belief that he's still around and that he's still trying to contact everybody. But uh, what, are, what are some of the other places uh, that you've investigated, some other, you know, encounters that you might have had that, conv- you know, you were convinced that there was definitely something paranormal happening?
3: Let me see. Where, where can we start? Um, <laughs> well, we had one uh, case. I'm trying to think. Um, actually, not locally. Um, it comes to my mind first. Uh, I'll get to one locally. That a, um, I was in New Orleans, on state street there's old state palace theater and instantly as we got up to the second balcony um i had the urge to jump off believe it or not it's it's a very tricky and i felt like i was going to fall off i was going to be pushed or i wanted to go and i backed the backed away and everybody i kind of got to the top in the back of um in the hallway and we had spoken about it and i said well it's funny i went to this one area and i felt like i was going to fall off and everybody had said the same thing they felt like they were going to fall off and the historian that was there with us and actually yeah, Clila Smith, she runs the history history haunted tours down there, she's a friend of mine, um, had mentioned it. And that that's where one young lady had committed suicide, it was right off that balcony, right in the same area. So I mean that wasn't too much bad, but I mean hearing voices on investigations, yeah. Um when it depends on what the listeners want to hear, you know, I can I can tell you from orbs to Paranormal, to being choked, to being chased, to being, you know, scared, getting dirt thrown at you, you know. Um there's many things, but it, it sometimes it's very less. I, there's a lot of cases that we have found nothing. We've been there for 12 hours and found nothing, you know, but that's, that's okay, you know, for us it's, you know, maybe not, that wasn't the right night, or maybe they were anniversary ghosts, so.
1: Do you find that there's a lot of geographic areas where ghosts seem to center around? Like, uh, like we talked about the Bridgewater Triangle last week, and is there almost like these areas where it's a very thin window into another plane of consciousness? Maybe.
3: Um, I think, it, believe it or not, it, it's geology, uh, geological, um, really? where they they're, they're formed. Uh, for Cape Cod, it's a lot of water. There's a lot of energy, a lot of um, electricity can be or energy can be flown through water, you no, know, passed through water. as a great conductor. Um, they feed off this um, one one building on Cape Cod is the Bar- uh, Bar- uh, Barnesville house has allegedly eleven ghosts, a river runs underneath it wow. so um, at one time so le- and uh, we 've been there and investigated it. Uh, we actually debunked two events that had happened because we found the, f- the airflow was bad and it caused doors to slam um, but uh, ge- geological the stones, the minerals, lay lines, um, they have more activity or they reported more activity, like Bridgewater Triangle is full of water, full of small ponds. Um, geographical uh, slate that runs around that area is high in conductivity. Um, but it doesn't mean there can't be curses. You know, curses on land like the Indians, Native Americans. I mean, Native Americans wouldn't even go on the Bridgewater Triangle as every previous listener has known that. Um, but yeah we find geographical locations, maybe where mass murders had happened or mm-hmm. peop, you know tragic, tragic okay. events if it 's not geological then then we find obscured hauntings in those areas
1: and and uh, there are seem there do seem to be these certain depressed areas uh, as we 've spoken of in the past, where it just seems like there 's an overwhelming sense of something you know oppressive. And uh, I almost wonder if that lends itself to a lot of this because it gives them a negative energy to feed off of.
3: Yeah, we a um, team has been out to Gettysburg. Uh, we met a couple of teams out there and worked with them, and they showed us around and showed us behind the scenes of Gettysburg um, and that area as well. You know, but locally here, Bridgewater Triangle, that area as being a mass area of, uh, as you can say, the feelings. You know, the, mm-hmm. the negative feelings. There's a couple of places here and. New Bedford, uh, I'm not going to mention out loud because I just don't want people tra- traping through their um. Yeah, cemeteries. unfortunately, that's, when, that's what happens. You know, in the cemeteries as well, we have one on Cape Cod that just got recently vandalized. Um, thank God it's not due to our, we, anybody we come contact, we always, you know, we support any local cemeteries. This is a cemetery that we can go to and get any type of anomaly from f- photographs from orbs, everybody. You know, depends on. I personally don't believe in orbs, but my team and other people do. So mm-hmm. that is a paranormal event because I didn't see it with my own eyes. Um, to, to voices, to recordings, to, you know, EVPs. So we can always almost go there and get something.
1: See, the, the difference around this area, too, especially, is there's so many older graveyards that it's, you know, it's almost like you almost have free reign to, to go and investigate them. And of course, Wolf Island Cemetery uh, in Rochester, I believe. Rochester? Yeah. Uh, that came up last week, and uh, there was a lot of people that emailed us with stories about that. So we would like to hear from you. We're coming up on a news break now, but I'll throw out the phone numbers, 508-996-0500, 508 500 We have a whole other hour coming up, uh, going all the way to midnight here on Spooky South Coast. Remember, you can always go online 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to com, where you can download the show. We, uh, we have a live stream up there that you can listen to every show that we've put up so far, and as long as bandwidth allows, we will uh, keep doing that also you can we 're going to work on a way of getting it up on iTunes, so you can download it right to your m p three player listen to it any anytime, and of course that is commercial and news break free if you want to do that and also that 's where you can email us, contact us find us find out more about us who the guests are going to be. We have all the links up to the guest website it is uh, definitely your go-to source for paranormal news here in New Bedford. Now Matt, uh, before we take a break uh, just want to give you an opportunity to say hello to everybody. You've been awfully quiet over there tonight.
2: Hi everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, and have, have you heard a lot of positive reaction from the show? People that are, are willing to start talking about this, you think?
2: Oh, a lot of uh, a lot of positive reaction. Got a lot of emails. A lot of people talked about this. It's really great.
1: Alright, well we'll read, run, we'll read one of those emails uh, when we come back uh, right after the news break. So remember 508 996 0500, 508 291 0500 here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM.
0: Presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Wiseberg, Matt Costa, and Evan Russo.
1: And welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Here on an action-packed Saturday night, we have members of Capers here. We have uh, a special guest that joined us as well, we'll get to in a moment. Right now we want to give you the phone numbers, 508-996-0500, 508 500 for Wareham and the Cape. If you want to call in, talk about your paranormal experiences, stories, theories, questions. You couldn't find a better panel of experts than we have right now to answer any of your questions. Everything from ghosts, to UFOs, to shadow people, to why Matt doesn't really talk that much, to <laughs> why I talk too much. And uh, right now I'd like to read an email I received uh, Uh, Yesterday, from a gentleman who wanted to to let us know about a true story that he once experienced right here in the town of Fairhaven. He said that he was driving back from a meeting in the center of Fairhaven. Uh, His wife was in another car behind him. When they got home, she asked him who was asking directions, talking to him through the passenger window, when he was stopped at Route 6 and Main Street there at the light facing north. She said, you know, it looked like somebody was talking to you and I was just wondering, you know, who it was, what was going on you know, he told her that nobody was there. And she said, well, I I swore that there was a person standing there outside the vehicle looking in and talking to you. So it dawned on him that that tall monument that's uh, over on the lawn of Fairhaven High School, I guess it used to be closer to the road. I'm not that familiar. And uh, he said that as a kid, he remembers some bad accidents there and that people were smashing cars into it and that that's why they moved it back on the lawn at Fairhaven High School. So he wanted to know if any of the listeners had ever seen or sensed anything around that intersection, especially at night, and uh, he wanted to know if, you know, maybe other people had experienced stuff down that neck of the woods. Of course, uh, Matt and I have been to the Millicent Library, which is down in that area, which we had some experiences in, and uh, also just Fairhaven High School in general has a history of poltergeist activity. So 508-996-0500, 508 500 to talk about ghostly happenings in Fairhaven or anywhere. Coming up now is a little segment we like to call The Week and Weird, where we look over some of the stranger stories that might have passed under the under the gun during the week. And uh, here's the first story here. You may have heard some of these salty old fishermen out here talking about those rare nights when the ocean glows with eerie intensity. Some of them refer to it as the Milky Sea, and it's been written about in a lot of uh, mar- marine time tales such as 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Well, this glow has long eluded scientists here on Earth, but satellite sensors up in space have recently provided the first pictures of this phenomena. In 1995, over 10 years ago now, they recorded images of a portion of the Indian Ocean about the size of Connecticut that glowed for three nights in a row. However, it was only in the last few weeks that they released this information after a decade of trying to analyze it. The leading theory is that the glow is a result of bioluminescent bacteria but it would take a population of epic proportions required to create such a large and strong glow. Matt, what do you got for us?
2: All right. This is the, uh, the world's first space elevator is under, under construction outside Phoenix, Arizona. Liftport Group, a private U.S. company that hopes to have a funct- fully functional space ele- elevator built by 2018, has stretched a carbon ribbon a mile into the sky with robots scurrying up and down the cable. Liftport's goal is to complete a 62,000-mile line that laser-powered robot lifters can use to carry cargo, satellites, maybe even people into space.
1: All right. uh, You got another story for us there? Uh,
2: Yep. A high-pitched dog whistle is being used by police in England to stop young people from loitering around shops. Dubbed the mosquito, the 80-decibel whistle can only be heard by teenagers and those in their early 20s. It's fitted outside the shop in a vandal-proof cage. When a youth begin to congregate outside the shop, the owner can turn on the whistle emitting a disturbing but not painful frequency that can only be heard by those from ages 12 to 25. Most people over 25, however, have lost the ability to hear that frequency.
1: Well, uh, I'm sure uh, if they wanted to send out an annoying frequency, you know, we could uh We could have me play some guitar for them. That would probably do the same thing, as Matt can attest to.
2: Or even sing some karaoke.
1: Oh, yeah. You want to talk about something spooky and paranormal, let's talk about the karaoke sessions in
2: my living room. Karaoke jams, as I like to call them.
1: Yeah, well, you want to jam something in your eardrums by the time I'm done. Here's another story coming out of London, England. London's X-Files have now officially been open to the public. Reports that were previously meant to be kept secret for up to 25 years were instead released due to pressure from a London newspaper as part of the Freedom of Information Act, which, just as we have here in the United States, England has one as well. Such claims from, quote, lights in a worm shape wriggling around the sky to a shiny donut-shaped object to a massive light in the shape of an iron are among the sightings released. The UFO Department of the Ministry of Defense, which is known as SF4, revealed details of 34 sightings altogether. The British government continues to remain open-minded about the validity of these UFOs. And speaking of government UFO sightings, let's go all the way back to 1808. A Moscow newspaper recently published a document that reports of a UFO sighting over the Kremlin back in 1808. Found in the personal archive of Moscow Senator Peter Polodensky, who worked for the Tsar Secret Service, It describes a flying saucer hovering about 90 feet over the Kremlin, illuminating everything under it with bright light. The document has been verified as authentic from that time period. So they did some investigation on the paper, on the ink, on the handwriting style, and it's definitely authentic to the 1800s. And it would be interesting to find out, you know, because there's no way they can explain this away as some sort of, you know, airplane or solar balloon or anything else like that, so... 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. This is the time in the show where we want to talk to you. We want to hear about whatever you think about the paranormal. I mean, maybe you think this is all just a bunch of bull and we're wasting our times. Hey, we welcome that as well. Just give us a call. Let us know what you think. Once again, we are here with Derek, Joanne, and Deborah from the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. And we've also been joined in the studio by Matt Moniz, who has worked behind the, the scenes for a number of years in a lot of this paranormal investigation, working with some of the le- world's leading scientists. How are you doing tonight, Matt?
6: Fine, Tim. How are you?
1: Oh, excellent. And uh, Matt is pretty much an expert on anything in the paranormal realm. He's had all kinds of experiences and his nearly 20 years of uh, investigating things. He's brought in some samples for us of, of soil. Why don't you talk a little bit about those?
6: All right. The soil I have here comes from the Bentwaters case, now, this was an event uh, that happened in Bentwaters, England, which is roughly about sixty miles north of London. It is a twin airbase that is run both by the United States and the uh, British military. Uh, the incident in question happened on three consecutive nights in 1980. It is the only U.S. government documented event whereas in there's an official report that is put out saying, yeah, something did happen. Uh, The Halt Memo, which is what this documentation is, was retrieved by the Freedom of Information Act, which you previously mentioned. Uh, The story was broke in 1982. Um, What happened on those nights was a craft had... uh, hovered over the base, shone down a beam of light over the base into the weapons storage area. Now, during that time, in Christmas of 1980, Poland was going through its uh, secession, basically, from the Soviet Union. Mm The Soviet Union then tried to uh, place tanks and stuff and tried to stop, basically, a rebellion. Uh, the United States had placed nuclear weapons in these weapons storage areas against the agreement that they had with England at the time. The only American base that was allowed to store nuclear weapons at that time was Lakenheath. So to have a craft showing a beam of light into a weapons storage area containing nuclear weapons was of uh, pretty big concern. (laughs) It's like, how did this
1: information get out? What do you mean? Uh, no, they're just wondering how these, these yeah, other like, beings knew exactly well, where to look. it's a
6: secure base. Yeah. The, the SR-71s were also launched from this particular base, and they had a large contingent of uh, A-10 warthogs mm-hmm. to take care of tanks, as well as a series of other bombers to handle nuclear delivery and st- stuff like that. Um, so to have the craft shine uh, a pencil-thin beam of light into the weapon storage area and then go landing outside the base was of concern to the um, the security people at, at the base. Uh, they went out in uh, groups. One individual was able to document the craft by touching it, taking actual measurements uh, and things like that. It returned the second night. A uh, second group came by and uh, basically repeated the same event. And on the third night, uh, the craft landed in a field, farmer's field outside the base. And that's where these particular soil samples come from, is that particular landing location. Now, at the other locations where it landed, there were high degrees of radiation. The trees were burnt and there were impressions left in a tripod fashion roughly about nine feet equidistant. Mm -hmm. Uh, The compression of the soil measured to be a a vehicle that weighed well over 20 tons to to cause that type of compression. Um, Now, in the field that these samples come from, uh, these samples were retrieved roughly 10 years after the fact, but as... You can you can personally see, unfortunately your audience can, mm-hmm. uh, you can distinctly note that there is a color difference between the two samples. Absolutely. All right. One being a brown, regular type of soil. The other has more of a rust red color. The brown soil is a control sample that was taken uh, hundreds of yards away from the, from the site. And the red soil comes from the actual landing site itself, where... Uh, the craft had landed. And uh, the control sample ha- has regular microbial growth in it and a normal amount of minerals and the appropriate ratios that they would normally be in. Mm-hmm. The landing soil has a chemical in it called FeO. Now, FeO is ferric oxide. Most people know Russ as FeO2. Now, FeO is only come from a red- reducing atmosphere caused by re-entry through the Earth's atmosphere. It's basically meteor dust, highly magnetic. The concentration of FEO or meteor dust in the soil is literally hundreds of times that of the control soil. The control so- soil, like I said, also has microbial growth because soils and microbes have a symbiotic relationship and that is how the plants grow because it's a uh, me- media which transfer the nutrients to the plant.
1: But normally you would find some degree of FEO in in the right. control soil.
6: yeah, it's a natural dust that falls. It's <laughs> just the concentration that's in this particular sample is far more than normal, what would be normal. Uh, one theory being that if these crafts using electromagnetic, Uh, principles, it would attract all of the FEO that would be available in the area and concentrate it. And that is one of the speculations as to why the soil is devoid of microbial growth. It also, if you were to pour water on this, the water would just roll right off of it. It does not rehydrate. It's also a a baked silica too, which indicates that there was some high degree of heating Mm Uh whether it be uh, electrothermal or microwave type of irradiation, would cause the same basic effect.
1: So when you combine the fact that you were able to take these soil samples and the reports of the people that were there, right. I mean, it just it naturally lends itself to, if there was some sort of craft that had to come through the atmosphere, that would be the type of stuff it would deliver. Now, was there any um, other kind of... Evidence when, when they investigated the ship. I mean, without sounding stupid, was it like a big window where they could see in something waving to them, or
6: was it just... Uh, this particular night, I'm talking about where this sample comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, the craft not only landed, the occupants di- disembarked.
1: Wow. <laughs> that, and that is something that's written about in this document?
6: Uh, it wasn't written about, but uh, later uh, eyewitnesses have come forward and made okay. statements to, to that effect. And, and
1: what happened the, in that interaction? The,
6: the report that was issued is done by a um, base police commander, and it's more of a sanitized version, mm-hmm. stating very minimalist of what had to be said without getting into detail.
1: Which, uh, you know, isn't surprising. No. and But uh, these eyewitness accounts, what did, what did they say happened?
6: Craft, uh, uh, depending upon which witness you're talking to and their vantage point. Mm-hmm. Um, Consensus agreement is a crafted land uh, bright flash of light, craft a solid metallic craft on the ground, uh, an entity uh, disembarked from the craft. There was some interaction with the security personnel and uh, various officers that were on scene. Uh, entity returned to the craft and the craft departed.
1: Now, I'm picturing a scene in my head, sort of like the final moments of Close Encounters, where this craft lands and there is, uh, you know, uh, the first contact between the the extraterrestrials and the Earthlings. But I think in reality it would almost be more of a, a military standoff, at least from the Earthling point of view. I mean, did they have like heavy oh, yeah. artillery up there and ready in case something happened? Well,
6: all the uh, site was surrounded by the. Air, Air Force military police mm-hmm. Those were the people that were on I mean, station were, were they like dr- guns drawn and ready and Yeah came? they were fully armed
1: So I mean that's maybe not the first uh, The way we want to best encounter So I would almost think that where They allowed the ship to be measured And you know they gave us these Almost clues into to their existence uh, Almost like they had been here before And had previous discussions With somebody so they knew to expect that Without feeling threatened by it um, I mean, do you, it, do,
6: you, yeah. do you
1: think like this, you know, everybody talks about the Roswell event as being the possible first contact and that uh, does it set up almost like a relationship between our government and these extraterrestrials? I mean, do you think that that's a possibility or? Uh,
6: there's theories like that out there. Uh, do I have any definitive proof of it? No. My opinion is being, yeah, I'm sure that there has been some form of contact mm-hmm. in one form or another.
1: And there. I mean, let's face it, somebody that has the technology, a species that has that kind of technology, they're not too worried about what our guns are going to do to them, I don't think at this point in time. I mean, maybe on an individual one-on-one basis, but I don't think we pose a a huge threat to their existence like they could pose to us. So, I mean, if that's going to happen, we kind of have to play by their rules. So maybe you've uh, seen something similar. Maybe you've seen a a flying saucer as, as the old... I mean. You know, flying saucer is a a generalized term that's used, but a lot of these can be different shapes and different...
6: Yeah, they're all various geometric forms. In a lot of cases, they're not even forms at all. They're as plasma type of, you know, points of light. Uh, Ninety percent of the reports that you get are of just that, reports of some form of colored lights doing particular types of movements. There are natural products that can do that, but Mm -hmm. they're not a complete explanation for all of them. So
1: maybe you've had a similar experience. Give us a call 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We also have the members of Capers in house, and and Matt as well is very uh, versed in ghost stories, and so uh, we can we can talk about anything that you want to talk about. Just uh, give us a call here. And uh, moving back over to the to the ghosts for a little while. Uh, I know that Derek, you recently led a discussion at Cape Cod Community College, one of these open meetings, about winter spirits and one of the things that came up in that is you talked about the Donner Party a little bit, and why don't you uh, talk a little bit about the Donner Party and, and what happened there I mean, it's a famous historical event, but not a lot of people understand the story behind the story
3: Wow, let me see, um, it's, it's funny uh, I kind of like put everything in filing cabinets after I'm done, but it was the, during the Western Migration, basically I mm-hmm. um, kind of say the Gold Rush but not really, it was to form um, to California and the Donner Party being the name after one of the gentlemen that was leading the party who actually lost during, was uh, uh, removed from being the leader. Um, basically, what happened was that they round the Midwest, and they get stuck, they were trying to get to a location or fort uh, in, in, a, in an amount of time, but the Donner Party had come down with wagon problems and things like that and had broken down and was lagging behind. Well, some of they sent four ahead to get to the sport, and meanwhile, these people are trapped. Not so much trapped, but you know, kind of had to make um, make shelter. Mm-hmm. Well, the Donna Party, being the Donna family, lagged behind so bad that they couldn't actually build a cabin. They actually had, like, lean-tos or t- tree leaners. Just
1: like, like something from Survivor, just yeah. thrown together where you can find to make shelter. Yeah,
3: and um, what had happened was, and it makes it a, 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 one of those it 's a horri- it 's a very bad i i mean it 's a horrible story mm-hmm. you think about it, you know these people trying to survive out there, but eventually they get rescued through periods of you know what they called like three camps on the way to the fort like they get picked up, brought to another one then brought back, and so forth and these rescuers um, now there 's a there 's a memorial out there, and, and I have not been um, all my research was done online um, and through the great story i mean we like our horror movies the shining you know and as they're traveling through the beginning of the movie you know and they talk about cannibalism and and one thing for us is that that was an event that had happened during the winter time um and when um, that that story had come out because with cannibalism there is another creature now i was it was mike Matt. Matt. Matt, I'm sorry. I was talking to Matt outside, and keeping on this paranormal research society doesn't just deal with ghosts. You know that is some of our main focus because um, you know they're more relevant inside people in uh, general, general uh, everyday walks of life. Now, paranormal, being UFOs, cryptozoology, and everything like that, had come to or spirit realm and understanding or looking at cultures and beliefs. Now, if if someone were to eat a human. Human flesh, they become a wendigo. Now, wendigo being a earthbound spirit that had, you know, consumed flesh and that cannot die, and it's a long process. And um, and I wish I knew more because I'd go more in depth with it. And I had just t- done this as a topic, as a filler story, because here in Cape, c- uh, here in Massachusetts alone, I try to research any c- stories that would like ghost stories, you know, yeah. during the wintertime, Christmas time, because I I named the, the topic "Dead of Winter." The Donna Party being a classic winter story of tragic events um, and hit home to everybody because everybody heard of the Donna Party. And
1: the reason why I bring it up is because it's one of the most significant, you know, o- you know, ominous winter stories that's out there through history.
3: Right. Um, and there was other stories that I had ta- uh, had uh, talked on, and one thing I was coming across was that I couldn't find ghost stories of the winter time except Christmas ghost or what they called um, anniversary ghost or. Um, only came out during certain times of the times of the year or day of the year um during Christmas time or new year's or something like that and um and those are almost like uh, what they call like a replay haunting or it's well the, the what we call it is a residual uh like a residual haunting where it's like a movie playing over and over exactly, again yeah. um but n- you can say that it was it's kind of like that uh residual hauntings, but that would happen if it's only energy um like a movie, playing over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's just energy imprinted on time that it wears down after a while. Why would it only show up one day day a year, not the rest of the days of the year yeah. if someone's living there? Well, what we had found after that is um, a story in a book by Holly Nadler. The, it's called Haunted Island. Um, it's about stories of Martha's Vineyard. She had told about a semi residential home. And it's a great story if you ever have the chance. I mean, I, I, I love reading authors' books and if I think they're great reads of people like that. It talks about a winter people renting out a summer home and then coming over off season to take care of the house and the yeah, activity thanks. they have during the wintertime because they didn't the entities did not like the people inside the house during the wintertime because that was day time
1: yeah exactly Well that seems to be the the setup is that they're used to people only being there in the summer and not to mention i think ghosts probably have a pretty good sense of tourism too and they know you don't want to scare out the ones that are going to spend the money too true so but and a lot of these summer uh places like i had an experience i lived in one for for uh, a winter with my family when i was younger and uh it was a similar type setup where you know it had gone empty in the wintertime before and you really start to notice an increased sense of something happening
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it's just in winter time in general i mean to, i hate to use halloween as a reference point because it sounds cheesy but from the you know the autumn equinox on mm-hmm. it's just whenever you go outside at night you have this strange feeling and i don't know if that's just something that's embedded in us because of our feelings about winter or if there's actually an increase in paranormal activity during this
3: time. Well, you think about the winter months and the de- depression that goes through the winter months, you know, is the negative energy coming through through the uh, through the seasons? Now, we're talking to some psychics and sensitives that they say is January February is the most active time of the year for for entities. I, I hear more stories, believe it or not, during those months, January and February. Maybe it's called boredom. Maybe it's called, you know, in, intrigue. But, uh, for us, I mean, any ghost story is really good. So, I like you were saying, you know, any caller wants to talk, tell us their ghost story or a winter ghost story, that would be great.
1: Yeah, we would love to hear them. 508-996-0500, 508 500 We're going to take a quick one-minute break right now. When we come back on the other side, we hope to hear from you here on Spooky South Coast.
0: Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. of AM 1420 WBSM into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast.
1: Alright, we're back and we're waiting to hear from you. 508-996-0500 508-291-0500 We won't blind you with science here. We just want to hear your stories. We'd like to hear about things that have happened to you, you know, maybe uh, in these winter months when uh, everybody starts to get a little bit more uh, as, as after the holiday season, as life winds down a bit and you have time to be a little bit more introspective, maybe you remember some things that have happened to you in the past and, you know, you never thought anybody would believe you. Well, if anybody's going to believe you, it's us. 508-996-0500, 508 500 And we are talking with, we have uh, Matt Moniz in the studio as well as Derek, Joanne, and Deborah of CAPERS, the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. Now, when people call you up and they say that they you know, have something that they think is going on. Do you find that it's most of the time related to a person? Is it related to an object? Is it related to a location? I mean, what seems to be the most prevalent type of haunting?
3: Wow, you got me there. Because we find that, after doing researches on the location, that we actually find that it's kind of three of them all three of them mm-hmm. you know it's it, it's the location i mean granted if no murder or you know suicide or tragic event had happened it could be the person as well but the person drawing in entities to to location it could be actually energy that has been sitting there and after you're remodeling because we had just started to work on a case that i actually interviewed the people the other night in uh, yarmouth on cape cod where they started they remodeled their garage boom this activity now the open lines was this goes against all my Christian beliefs. The woman said to me, "Okay, <laughs> now for her to say that, I mean, and that's it, a that's a big statement. That to make. is a big statement, and you know, and she couldn't think it was no activity before. She's only been living there six years, and this all of a sudden started happening. Now, this is the person sometimes, you know, but you know, it, it all depends.
1: All right. Well, we have a phone call coming in right now, so let's uh, go right to the phone lines." Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. Uh, can we have your name and where you're calling from, please?
7: Hi, my name is Nick, and I'm from uh, Wareham. How you doing, Nick? All right.
1: All right. Well, what's on your mind tonight?
7: Uh, I was just wondering if you guys ever do uh, any, like, cold hunts. Like, say, wow, there might be some sort of activity going in this area. It looks like, you know, old house, something like that.
3: Yeah, pure ghost hunting. As the word is is um yeah, when you're going out and just seeing if the if the area does, we do we um I mean we go out and we do cemeteries, granted you know, why would cemeteries be haunted? who'd want to haunt a cemetery they usually go back to the houses, but yeah, locations maybe uh, curiosity, but one thing is Nick is that we get uh we always get uh, uh authorization or acceptance to for us to be there i mean we don't trespass we always ask police local authorities to do this so i mean if you're going to do this please i mean you know please follow all uh, we, procedures like that we
1: can't stress that enough each week we try to at least remind people that you know a lot of this, these places that we talk about are on private property or state property and you know it's against the law to go and trespass so it, a, a phone call usually to ask permission you'll find out you know ninety percent of the time people either Think something's going on, and they welcome your input, or they think that you're crazy, and they say, "Yeah, it's not going to hurt anything." So,
3: yeah, um, and Nick, uh, we uh, we do take people out. Just not even amateur ghost hunters just want to experience, have experience like that. Um, we do bring them to a cemetery that we know there's activity, and and it's all for them to feel part of, or maybe get insightful of. So we do go do ghost hunting in cold, what we call cold cases, where you just go out and maybe there has been a story or a, or something that triggered something to go out and take a look at it. Um, you know, we do that.
1: So maybe you can join with them sometime.
7: Wow, that, 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 that sounds cool, but uh, you guys ever check out uh, Fort Leibn down in uh, New Bedford?
3: No, I have not.
7: Uh, are, you, are you familiar with it? Or
3: No, actually, I'm not. Myself, I'm sorry.
7: Um, well... It, it's a it's an old fort down in uh, the south end, and it, it looks like a castle. It was active during the Civil War, and it's still down there. And they were, the uh, National Guard was using it up till a few years ago, but uh, it looks like there could be some activity down there, some history, you know.
6: Uh, I'm familiar with the Fort Robman area. Um, as far as I recall, there has not been any. Activity that has been related to me.
1: I mean, uh, what are some of these reports that you've heard? I mean, a lot of times, too, it's just guys talking. You know what I mean? But uh, for for people that are in the military to talk about these type of things and to mention it, there's got to be something going to it.
7: Well, I'm I'm sure there's all sorts of ghost stories going with any old building, but uh, I've heard that uh, there was a, Two, uh armories in New Bedford, actually, that were, had heard some uh, haunting-type activity.
1: Well, there's definitely one, uh, the, the New Bedford Armory downtown, uh, Taps had uh, investigated it for their, their show, Ghost Hunters, and they did have some sort of experience there. One of their sound guys had a similar encounter like what Derek had, where he was actually knocked down and, and physically assaulted. So, I mean, these buildings do hold some type of energy in them.
7: No. If somebody was able to get assaulted, would they be able to to capture, like, this energy, do you think? or
3: I
1: mean, if it, can, if it can grab you, can you grab it?
3: Yeah. Well, I've actually, I mean, there's only been one kind of written case of some They're actually trying to capture some, uh, an entity, and that's actually in the movie Entity. That was supposed to be a real case. Um, that's actually getting some type of form. I've never heard of anybody capturing anything. Or, or I mean, I've seen them on eBay selling... Alleged ghosts. I've seen
1: that ghost in a jar. I saw that yeah, earlier tonight. They're yeah. only
3: put through an energized or, or a particle energizer to make it active in energy. But no, I actually, I've never heard of anybody trying to capture one.
1: You know, I still I'd be interested if anybody wanted to actually purchase one of those and, and set it free. I'd be interested in seeing what happened. I mean, worst case scenario, I think they were going for like a dollar ninety nine. Yeah. So I mean, worst case scenario is you just end up with uh, a jar of nothing.
3: Yeah, we, we find that uh, like places like an armory or something that holds a lot of. The stonework, um, you know, find out in England in the castles, you know, you find a lot of entities hanging around those areas as well. Um, there was one fort here, I believe in Fairhaven in the waterfront. As a high school student, I went out there and uh, was interested in There was a small ghost story, it's actually down the road over here. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. uh, I heard a ghost story from there, but I don't know if anybody has ever heard of that. What's the fort called? For, for,
1: forgive me for not being familiar, I think it's Fort Phoenix. Fort yeah. Phoenix, yeah. Okay. yeah. Thanks, so, man.
3: as a high school student, I went out there, of course, you know.
1: But, uh, and and then when you see these places, I mean, they just have that spooky, ominous appearance anyway, so it's going to lend itself to a lot of these reports. So. But, uh, Nick, you did say you'd be interested in going and checking some of these places out, huh?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, is your contact information on your website? or? Yes, it is. Oh, okay.
1: You can go directly to their site, which is uh, capers.com, mm-hmm. or you can uh, go to spookysouthcoast.com, click on our blog, and you'll find a link right to their site. Excellent. All right, so if you go out there, make sure you record some stuff and get some uh, stuff for us, and, and we'll put it right here in Spooky South Coast.
7: All right. Thank you. Talk to you
1: later. You. All right, if you'd like to join us in the discussion, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 from Wareham and the Cape. Maybe uh, you're interested in joining up with Capers and checking out some of the stuff. Maybe you want to become an investigator. Maybe you want to find out more. Give us a call. Now is the time. We'd love to hear from you. Now, when you when you have these open meetings like you're having uh, next Friday at Cape Cod Community College, uh, do you find that when you bring these people in, and you know some of these people might be gung ho for it, and then I know you said that you have some people come in and then drop out, but do you have some people that just can't handle it when they actually get out in the field?
3: Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't come across one of those um, where they just got too scared and quit. Mm-hmm. But I've heard investigators um, on other teams doing it for twenty years. All of a sudden, something has happened and they quit. They don't talk about ghosts. They don't do anything. Um, and you know, we do. We mostly us being on a uh, for, you know for free, and hey, you don't pay for it. You do. They. I tell them family and family is most important. So if you've, you're taking up too much of your family's time, go back to your family. It's okay. So they'll always be honorary members if they quit because their life has got too busy in general. Um, with most ghosts, you know, but do,
1: you, do you find some people use that as a? might use that as a cop out, you know? It's yeah, like, because I got to uh, spend more time at home because I'm scared to be out here.
3: Could be, could be, yeah. Because uh, one of my one of my lead investigators, Keith Kastner, on our team, he um, I was training him on doing a cemetery, and he had come up, and uh, at the time it was another investigator, Mark, and we we're in a cemetery, and I was going to train him on how to investigate a cemetery properly, and Mark and I were to left, and we had left him by by himself probably like 10, 15 feet, and we're, we're deciding what we're going to be doing on the, the investigation. And all of a sudden, we start talking. We're walking away as we're talking, and on the video camera, you can hear him. Now, this is Keith. My lead investigator has been with me for five years. Go, you guys aren't going to leave me out here alone, are you? <laughs> and we never do that. We never. We would put an experienced person with somebody that's inexperienced as well. But, again, like you were saying, do they quit because of fear? No, but fear for us, anyways. For fear is a natural human instinct. So,
1: and a lot of people, when they do this, they're looking for uh, some sort of instant experience to, right. to justify what it is they're doing, and that's not always going to be the
3: case. No, it, it's not. And and you think um, investigating is like the highlight, and you know, with taps, and they show that the footage it is. Um, but what goes behind it? You do more research and more book work and more video. Uh, Looking at video footage, then you do actually investigating um, it is you can say for the, you have to be patient um, you ha, it's for an outcome or for evidence uh, and it 's not always this fast moving chasing ghosts down a hallway looking for things um, it, it's it 's very slow moving so you ha, just due time it 's all in due time.
1: We had a gentleman last week here, Chris Pittman, who runs the uh, Massachusetts UFO resource site, and he is You know, also a a paranormal investigator as well, or he was in the past. And he said that he no longer was out in the field uh, investigating ghosts or UFOs or cryptozoology. He gave it all up, and he suggested that people don't investigate things. He said, "Stay away from it because you know these kind of entities can follow you." Do you guys take precautions against that type of thing? Or
3: Um, believe it or not, some of our theories, we kind of we look at that. You know, do we actually are we enticing? Or we are inviting something to come to us by actually giving acknowledgement um are we doing like the heisenberg uh chaos uh the Heisenberg principle you know looking at an atom and changing it because we're actually looking at it mm-hmm. you know are we changing the environment are we bringing five different people there are a lot of theories into it when it comes to things like that um but where where we go I mean you know it's it's tough and I, I know I dealt with Chris uh, a couple of times early in the days, back five years ago. And, um, you know, is it? Depends. It all depends. I mean, until I can't do it anymore, until any of my investigators can't do it anymore, you know, we'll still investigate.
1: I mean, uh, I don't know. Everybody brings their own individual beliefs into an investigation. We had uh, Reverend Gail Hicks on on our second show, and she suggested to somebody that's going to go out there in the field – certain crystals, Mm -hmm. certain rocks that you can bring with you. I mean, does it ever hurt to throw something like this in your pocket? Is it something that people in your group do?
3: Um, Believe it or not, it's all your personal belief. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing we try to do, though, is leave behind our personal values or our personal insight or our personal how can you say the choices with that we make, um, you know, personal views when it comes to investigating because we're tainting the evidence Your, your of,
1: predispositions yeah,
3: to... Yeah, but uh, if, if something's going to give you satisfaction of being protected, you know, some people go through rituals, some people do carry things, and I, I, you know, what makes you safe? I've did it for many years without doing it, and I paid the consequences a couple of times. Um, yeah,
1: something's followed
3: you home? Definitely, or? definitely followed me home. Um, been sick for days after, uh, things like that, so... Do I do anything different? I give it more conscious thought when I when I leave the leave a location maybe. Uh, but I don't carry anything myself.
1: I mean a lot of it too has to do with the mindset you have going in, whether are you there to listen to a spirit, to acknowledge it, to help it, or are you there to confront it and mm-hmm. to I mean I suppose for each situation it's a different case and that has a different result as as that follows you home or Yeah. Alright, we're gonna take a quick one minute break while I stop stumbling over my words. <laughs> and uh, we'll be right back here with the final segment of spooky south coast we want to hear from you 508-996-0500 508-291-0500 here on WBSM Watching. Watching. Watching.
0: Watching.
1: We're back on spooky south coast we got about uh, 10 minutes or so left 508-996-0500 508 500 maybe you live in a haunted house maybe you have a place you'd like to have capers investigate maybe you have some questions about anything to do with the paranormal just give us a call we're ready to hear from you And uh, also, just a reminder for everybody, if you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the blog, you can download the show at any time, 24 hours a day. We try to have it up the next day as soon as we can, so you have plenty of uh, excuse to, no excuse to miss any portion of the show. If you tune in late, you can catch it online. Also, uh, there you will find the links to Derek's site, to the Capers site, And uh, also, you guys are undergoing a little bit of a redesign, a a new launch for your website coming up soon.
3: Yeah, on March 4th, you're going to find uh, Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. It's going to have the same colors, but a little bit different design. Uh, More professional. We're going to be doing a lot more with the general public, uh, promoting um, one of our, we actually have a ghost tour on Cape Cod. So a lot of people don't know about that. We do it. For non-profits, actually, we give, we give the money to the non-profits and we do a ghost tour in Barnesville Village. But you're going to see a lot of different things from the novice to some of the extreme um, ghost hunting. And so we're going to actually have viewers submitting photos um, or uh, people that visit our website submitting photos, uh, stories, anything like that, that uh, you know can f- capture the audience. And we're not here just for hits on our website. We're mm-hmm. here just to educate people. So it's going to be more educational, more informative, and fun. And I uh, give a lot back back to uh, to the community itself.
1: And the capers.com site, as, it, as it's presently constituted, already has a lot of evidence on there, some some photographic evidence that people might want to check out, and, of course, uh, some
3: listings of some haunted yeah. places around oh, yeah. Cape Cod. On Cape Cod. But you know something? We, I have no problem putting up a New Bedford or Fairhaven site or a Wareham site for places in those towns as well. So, you know, with ideas and people like you listening that give me give me these ideas because i am the web builder as well um we can we can branch off from there and make you know all these the hauntings no no known kind of you know
1: so maybe there's a story out there that uh, capers has yet to hear we're counting on you to call in and tell them 508-996-0500 508 500 and uh also maybe they, maybe it'll make it up on the website by the time it launches on march 4th yeah and uh, now let's just go back real quick one more time to go over this shadow people lecture that you have coming up. Uh, Deborah, what type of um, discussions do you have planned? What type of... Uh, I know that you guys do like a PowerPoint presentation, right. so there's a lot of visuals involved. Yeah. Uh, what kind of stuff have you found uh, online for for information?
4: Um, well, I actually was able to find quite a few photographs. I was surprised. Some of them are questionable some of them, I think, are absolutely real, and some of them are obvious fakes. But you got to put them all up there.
1: Well, unfortunately, the rise of programs like Photoshop has made it quite easy. I mean, That's I look easy. at some yeah. of the At first, when I started investigating this stuff in preparation for the show, I would be blown away by, like, the, the easiest to produce photograph. And then as I've become a little bit more savvy, it's like, oh, that yeah, Photoshop. Oh, yeah. Photoshop. I, I made, I made yeah. that picture, Photoshop. So, but having now experienced an actual encounter with a shadow person, it kind of gives you a little bit more of a critical eye as well, right?
4: Definitely. Oh, yeah, same thing. I mean, I used to look at pictures. I mean, I'd see an orb on a picture and, ooh, that's something, you know, not thinking it was you know, rain or mist or dust or a yeah. bug or flying n- by light or a reflect- fingernail. All,
1: all different kinds of things. <laughs> and uh, orb photographs is something that we touched upon earlier, and as Derek said, he doesn't put a lot of stock in them, but some people do. Some people think that it's, you know, uh, proof of the presence of some sort of energy, some sort of spiritual entity.
4: I think some people just want to find something. And it's, it's uh, in, in
1: that re- in that vein, some people will see something that isn't what it is and, and try to make it that way. But in other cases, you could have thousands of photographs that you've taken over the course of the years that have these orbs in them and never think okay. twice about
4: them. Well, I just I had mentioned fingernails. I'm real good at that for for that is for obviously yeah. long nails. And there was when we were in Granville and we had a picture in the cellar and there was something in it. How long what did we spend? Maybe half hour trying to figure out what it yeah. was? And yeah. I just stood there looking at the picture and looking at my nail and going, um yeah. this is it
3: <laughs> and, and and with orbs. Uh yeah. We I've spent when it like you said, you start off and you, you look into the orbs and it takes hours and hours. You can look into the orbs. You can see through them. Mm-hmm. You can do all these things. Um, one thing is the ones you can't see through that have a tail. You caught them in motion and now that is unbelievable. Like EVPs, you know, EVPs. Uh, yeah, it could be radio frequencies. could be all this, but once you ask a question, it answers you back. What is that? Is that my me projecting the answer. It's, there's, there's some a lot sort of, of intelligence. In yeah, the, there's, in there's some another. theories behind these orbs as well. well
1: we had an interesting EVP encounter, and I'll tell the story. It's a little embarrassing, but <laughs> we, uh, we investigated the Millicent Library here in Fairhaven for a, a story in the Standard Times, and we were in the, uh, I guess, what they call the Huddleston room, where they have the portraits of the Huddleston family. And this is probably what everybody thinks is the most haunted room in the place, because these portraits are the old style portraits that follow you around yeah. the room. And uh, so we 're in there, we have the lights off, you know, and i 'm trying to goad these spirits into into making themselves known, and so we 're doing some e v p work, and we ask some sort of question, and I forget exactly what it was that we asked, and then we 're listening to the playback later on, and when you hear it, you hear a <laughs> like some sort of like deep guttural noise and as it turns out it that's exactly what it was it was my stomach rumbling so it, <laughs> you know once i went back out into the truck and i had a sob and you know yeah. and we could go back in and, and do it. but that's exactly what it was it was my stomach something that you wouldn't think and you know i'm and when we hear it we're like let's listen let's see if we can blow it up and hear something in it and it was just something so mundane as that
3: yeah we we get that all the time actually
1: <laughs> and uh it's <laughs> i can just imagine too it's like you know, you, you find the least little noise, and you want to hear something, right. so you focus on it. But when you really capture an EVP, you know, a lot of them out there, they're not that strong. Right. But you do get some that it's like, wow. Yeah. Have you ever, uh, have you ever had anything really, really strong come back at you?
3: Um, what we call a Class A, which is very audible, very um, noticeable like a human being talking into the microphone No um class b's class c's you know you can go through these classes and for more information go to american association of ev uh, american association of evp people that brought you white noise um their website we have a consultant on our, on our team that's evp specialist
1: well, i think i think white noise kind of was a little bit detrimental yeah well the this. beginning
3: the beginning part of it um i mean they were detriment yeah the story is a story it's a movie it's hollywood um but with evps uh, we, our website will tell you how to do these as well but I've come across voices, faint voices, distant voices um, on the team. um, Just never been well. I've been answered back to questions, but never had it recorded because I could hear them all. And I'm like, wait a minute, I heard that. Was that me thinking of it? And it
1: doesn't appear. It doesn't appear on. That's that's a lot of the case too. Well, here on Spooky South Coast, we like your responses. We'll be here next week to hear uh, more of what you think about the paranormal. Uh, Not quite sure who we're going to have for a guest next week. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants a little bit here in the early goings. I do know that Fate Magazine has promised to join us sometime in the future, so we're trying to get them to come on board. Those of you who subscribe to Fate, uh, you should be seeing Matt and I smiling faces in an upcoming uh, issue of Fate Magazine. Also. We're going to have sometime in the future John Zaffis, who is uh, one of the world's leading paranormal investigators, and he runs a a museum down in Connecticut. He's also the nephew of Ed and Lorraine Warren, two of the most famous paranormal investigators from the 70s and 80s, and who a lot of people debunk as crazy, as as charlatans. Uh, You know, and a lot lot of people don't realize this, in in the new version of the Amityville horror movie, those two characters at the beginning, that's actually supposed to be referencing Ed and Lorraine Warren, so... We'll, uh, we'll have John on. We'll talk to him about his aunt and uncle, as well as we hope to talk to him about exorcisms. Also, we have uh, a whole slate of topics we can discuss, but we want to hear from you and what you think we need to talk about. Email us all week long, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, Matt at com. The website's up and running all week long. You can download the show, listen to it. If you don't feel comfortable calling in each week with your stories, feel free to email them. We'll read them on the air. We'll keep your name out of it, as we did for this gentleman today. And uh, any time you encounter any anything strange on the Internet, anything that you think we need to bring to people's attention, please send it along. We have uh, plenty of experts that we can relay it to that can uh, tell us what we need to know. So one more time, why don't we just give out the information about next week's lecture and uh, the website information.
3: Okay. The we have about one, one minute. minute. It's going to be from Deborah Hearn. Her, it's the lecture is going to be uh, Shadow People, uh, her true tales, and also people's other, other people's tales. And the website is www.capers.com. That's c-a-i-p-r-s.com. And we have a phone number you can reach us at. It's five zero eight two two four seven three two one. About anything, uh, call us anytime. It's our we, it's our live line. So,
1: all right, and uh, we will have all those numbers for us. If if there's anything you needed and we didn't write it down, and uh, you weren't able to write it down, just contact us. We'll get you all the information because that's what we're here for. Each and every Saturday night from ten to midnight, it's Spooky South Coast. Uh, we are here to believe you. So, and for all of us here, until next week, Matt Costa, myself, Tim Weisberg, and all of our guests, we uh, want you to stay spooktacular. See you next week.